0: A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW, report, prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18.
1: We all want to believe in something, but how far will we go to find meaning? From the executive producer of Friday Night Lights, whose new original drama series, The Path, takes audiences inside the mysterious world of a controversial cult-like movement. Starring Aaron Paul, Michelle Monaghan, and Hugh Dancy, and hailed by The Hollywood Reporter as impressive and riveting, The Path takes an in-depth look at the gravitational pull of belief and what it means to choose between the life we live and the life we want. The Path, now streaming new episodes Wednesdays, only on Hulu. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the Deputy Editor and Chief Film Critic. Joined, as always, by Ann Thompson, the Editor-at-Large at at IndieWire. And, you know, there are certain weeks where we're struggling to figure out what we should be addressing that we haven't addressed a million times before. This is definitely not one of those weeks, because today... Everything happened. The can lineup came out first thing in the morning, New York time. I was up at 5 a.m. checking out that press conference. And you're out at CinemaCon, which has all this other kind of stuff going on. We're in the middle of the Tribeca Film Festival that just kicked off. So... I don't even know where to begin. I'm just going to throw it to you, so you could tell us a little bit about CinemaCon and, and sort of the the top line things that are coming out of there. Because in some ways, I feel like CinemaCon is the big picture here in terms of just where the movies are headed. It's 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 all yeah, big picture. Yeah, it's an
2: interesting situation because um, you know you have someone like you have you have the Snapster guy, Sean Parker, sort of the great disruptor, um, who's sort of forcing the hand of the studios and the exhibitors, you know, who have been sort of fumfering around, you know, pushing here, pushing there, trying to see if there's some common ground where they can fool around with what they're calling now smart windows, sophisticated smart windows. It's all about not having this 90-day window and, and giving consumers. The studios want to give it to them sooner, and the exhibitors want to give it to them later because they want to hang on to their their, sole, you know, source of of income, which is supplied by the studio. So they are, in fact, partners, and CinemaCon is the annual thing where the studios come in and show them their wares, they show them, they bring in the stars on jets to Las Vegas at Caesars, and they they put up... um, all the new reels and the trailers and footage and and tell the exhibitors what they want to hear which is that we love you and we love the big screen experience and they're saying that at the same time that this other conversation is taking place uh, behind closed doors. But it looks like that experiment that Paramount performed um, with uh, Jason Bloom's paranormal sequel, the idea that they would allow a movie to play out its natural life in theaters and then take it to other platforms in a sort of organic, customized Way that conversation is actually happening here at CinemaCon. And, well, and in sense, a weird way, it? it's being forced to be having more currency.
1: But there's something super practical about this idea. I mean, day and date is not a term that anybody seems to be throwing around with any. They hate date Yeah, it doesn't Everybody make sense. Hates day, day. It's like because two things you, you canceling them out. Because you create
2: a brand, you create an identity, you create a, a, a something with value over time, over a period of time, where word of mouth is is built up and reviews and everything else.
1: Right, but and and yet the, this idea of you know different people wanting different kinds of windows. I mean, this is nothing new per se because. For a long time, it's been clear that if you don't make things available to audiences after a while, they'll just find it anyway, which is a threat of piracy and all that other kinds of stuff. There has to be some sort of middle ground that gives the theater owners a sense that they're, they've got their time to get an audience, and then it goes to other platforms. I
2: wait. agree, and I think that's exactly where it's going, and that's where it should go. I've always thought that at least three weeks, four weeks was essential, but why did it have to be 90 days you know, and, and the, the theater owners have been very reluctant uh, to give that up. So I, I think it's a, a very interesting time. But it's also this time where you and I had talked about the story, for example, at the Warner Brothers presentation, uh, Kevin Sujahara, who's the, the head of, of, of Warner's, made a big stand. He made the most dramatic anti Day-and-day day screening room statement of, of anybody and, and said no third party is gonna come between us. And so it, it's very clear that whatever they want to do, even if there's a third party to implement it in the end, it will be designed by by the studios and the and the exhibitors and by a studio like Warner Brothers. Well, I'm just
1: fascinated by the the anathema, the the just pure rejection of screening room by certain people, and yet a handful of other people in the industry who are embracing it. And it's really hard to parse who's actually being progressive and smart. Well, about the, this. what
2: what they were doing was a was a was a an opening PR launch salvo where they had lined up all these filmmakers and J.J. Abrams was here in, in in Las Vegas and he defended the screening room again, um, not in front of the exhibitors, but on the <laughs> side, you know, to, diplomatic. Uh, to, uh, to a trade group, I mean, to a trade paper. But uh, but but the but Cameron came today to the Fox um, presentation and James he made Cameron. the announcement that he's going to do four Avatar you oh, know, boy. on my Twitter feed. I have to say the reaction was negative to this. <laughs> well, it sounds
1: <laughs> crass. I mean... Maybe you do one and it's and it's good, and you do another one and it's good. You can kind of string people along, but just to be like, we're just gonna quadruple them. That thing, it's like what he's
2: talking about. The way he talked about it was that there's four screenwriters and they're creating this immersive Pandora world, and they're designing all these creatures and. And and there's a theme park, and there's a Cirque du Soleil, <laughs> there's a comic book line, and, yeah. know, and and so apparently in the course of uh, in a sort of Lucas like way, you know, where Lucas was creating the Star Wars universe over many time frames, you know, he's created too many stories to be contained. It re- actually reminds me of Peter Jackson, you know, wanting to to do The Hobbit in three parts. I almost wonder, though,
1: I, I get it, but I almost wonder if that, exactly, I mean, it, it happened already. That, that thinking of, you know, we're going to f- do this really well-designed franchise in a world people want to keep revisiting. I mean, we're seeing things that people are experimenting with in other kinds of media. Game of Thrones is a huge production, and virtual reality is taking off. If you want to build a huge virtual world, it's not necessarily as exciting to say we're going to make four movies. movies. Movies out of it, and you have to wait, you know, half a decade to experience all of them. Whereas, I think
2: the way to look at it, Eric, is more that the studios are terrified of having to sell original content, and what television has the advantage that it has is that it does create an opportunity to discover and find and sustain over a long period of time these stories and spinoffs and everything else. And so uh, it makes sense that the studio would would say, uh, Cameron, you want to do some more? I mean, he, he sure. is the guy who delivered uh, Titanic and Avatar, the two biggest blockbusters of all time. If he wants to go ahead and make more of them, I think they're going to say yes.
1: But I think there's something telling in the contrast between James Cameron saying four times Avatar and something like... Amazon giving a presentation where they're saying they're going to be putting movies into theaters. A very different kind of movie, but it feels more like this digital organization that has its talents and so many different kinds of media putting its weight behind the theatrical marketplace from a totally different direction. That was the presentation that
2: I just came from, and it was really fun because they had uh, the ability to announce five can titles, you know, for one, you know, all in one morning. And what Roy Price, the head of Amazon, did was to hire these people who are film people, indie film people, old veteran Ted Hope and Bob Burney, who is a theater guy and came up through exhibition and knows how to how to book theaters better than, than anybody and market for them. Um, and so they reiterated their commitment to re- respecting the traditional theatrical windows Um with movies like Manchester by the Sea and the five films that they're going to show um, at Cannes. And uh, they had Nicholas uh, Winding uh, Refn come in from uh, Copenhagen on Skype and do a whole presentation on uh, The Neon Demon, which is one of the Cannes titles, and Al Fanning came in. So they had a, they had a nice little little uh, wow session. And they, the theater people were applauding them for being... Uh, Uh, friendly to theaters in a way that their rival Netflix is not. And Netflix was nowhere to be seen in Las Vegas. Although no. Tom Rothman cited them and someone else uh, cited them at the Fox thing, you know, as as take this Netflix kind of thing.
1: Right. It's not that Netflix is the future of entertainment. Netflix is just Netflix and everybody else is trying to figure out other kinds of solutions. Right. I mean, it's well, they
2: use Netflix as the streaming uh, giant. You know, clearly the studios wouldn't be mentioning these these companies if they didn't find them somewhat uh threatening. And what they were basically, I think it was Tom Rothman with this movie Passengers with Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt set in outer space, very Morton Tilden very gorgeous and streamlined and and uh uh stylish basically saying take this you you know you're you're not gonna be able to make a movie like this and of course part of the negative though when you look at a lot of these Studio presentations is how, how many movies with one set of superhero skills pitted against another set of superhero bad guys is is you know from Suicide Squad to Civil War to X Men Apocalypse. I mean, my I, I'm I'm I don't want to see any of these. <laughs> I saw Civil War, shocking. I, <laughs> I've seen it. Now I don't have to see the other ones. With Civil War, you were okay.
1: Give me Wonder Woman. You were okay with Civil War, right? I mean, it's.
2: You know, it got tiring. It got really tiring after a while. I'm fond of these characters, but I don't really want. I didn't enjoy watching them fighting each other. It was disturbing.
1: Oh, well, now you're making it a perfect sales pitch for somebody like me. I thrive on that kind of thing. (laughs) I want to see the good guys fight. You know, it's uh, there's something about that ambiguity that it feels like it's going against the grain. But at the, the ambiguity same, ambiguity
2: is deeper than anything in this movie. Yeah,
1: possibly. I was going to say I'm not going to overread it. It's more just <laughs> you're
2: not going to get too much, too much artful arcana in this one, uh, darling.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would prefer to just envision these things on paper as being just these subversive achievements, and then not even bother with the movies themselves. You know, but I, I realize that, that there is this really particular contrast between the world that we're talking about when we talk about kind of how exhibitors dealing with big movies are trying to figure out the future of the marketplace and how these people who work on a totally different terrain are doing it because it's just it's almost like they're talking about two different kinds of media after a while anyway I mean it's the can lineup comes out this morning right and you look at all these movies from around the world and yes Amazon has four or five movies whatever it is But there's so many other things there that if they even have a life beyond Cannes in North America, uh, it's It's going to be so different. I mean, it'll just be fundamentally different.
2: Because it's really, you know, a lot of these distributors are going to go to Cannes, um, you know, and pay for the hotels and the bills and everything. But they're not really going to be looking at the movies so much that are playing there as they are going to be in the market, looking at the footage of movies in production that they can buy in advance for their slates that look more commercial uh, than the artful movies in the can lineup. Although I'm looking forward. I'm really looking forward to, to seeing, you know, the new Verhoeven in French or, or then, you know, the new Almodovar, um, Julieta, which Sony Pictures Classics does have. And a 24 has the new Andrea Arnold. American
1: honey looks awesome. I mean, it's a really good lineup. And the, the list of movies, if you really dig into it, that people thought were going to get in and didn't is almost like three times as long as the actual lineup, which you Well, shows we still have
2: something. to see what shows up in the Fortnite and mm-hmm. Critics Week. Uh, you may see your Pablo Lorraine uh, end up there or, or or the Ben Wheatley or, or something, the, the Adam Leon. We had a long list of more movies than could possibly right. have wound up there but, you know, but we're not going to see Terrence Malick or yeah, and I mean, yesterday he here in Seneca we found out the fate of the Howard Hughes movie which is going to come out this fall there yeah. is a title which they haven't revealed yet but I um, think he
1: was listening to Screen Talk and when you said that that movie's just never coming out or something he was like well now it's gotta happen No, I was talking
2: to the Fox executives who have been sort of riding herd, you know, dealing with Warren and his inimitable, long-legged, long-spoken fashion. Um, uh, You know, they've been waiting patiently. Uh, Arnon Milchan uh, paid for it, and we will see it this fall.
1: But then going back to the Cannes lineup, what's what's also, I think, really notable is that there is, an, there is a really particular mix of some higher-profile U.S. stuff and then things that are, are super small. I mean, you have Jack, Jeff Nichols' Loving, which is focused, and, and that could be uh, maybe even an awards contender. We don't know. And Sean Penn's it's movie. visual
2: because didn't that get picked up out of Berlin?
1: Yeah, it did. It, it, but I think it had been sort of around for a while because uh, he's, he's got a movie that just opened. So it's... Uh, So that one, there's got to be something going on 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 that level with a movie of of that scale. I mean, he's very well liked, obviously. His last movie, Mud, before Midnight Special, played in Cannes Competition and and actually went over quite well. Then you have The Last Face from Sean Penn, which obviously is going to invite a lot of expectations. Jodie Foster's Money Monster got an out-of-competition slot. I don't know how to read that exactly. That means that
2: it's a red carpet title, and we can expect that it's probably more Hollywood than it is, you know. If she, if she had the right stuff, she would go into competition, presumably. Right.
1: You you want to just assume that that, that everything here has a, a real curatorial justification, and usually that does seem to be the case, But but other things can happen, too. Like somebody says, this isn't a competition film. It would be better in this or that kind of way, I mean...
2: Well, Woody Allen never goes in competition, and he's been there a million times, and he's opened before with, with Midnight in Paris. And, you know, so that's an Amazon movie as well. They took that away from Sony Pictures Classics by spending, like, $20 million.
1: <laughs> but I'm also wondering about something like Olivier Assayas, right, has Personal Shopper, another movie he's made with Kristen Stewart. It's an English-language movie set in Paris, Somebody like him, I mean, he's been around for decades, but could maybe cross over even further given that Clouds of Sales Maria was so well received and now yeah. he's got another one. I'm curious I about a movie those like films. that. I could, can't
2: wait to see. That's one of the ones I'm probably looking forward to the most.
1: So, if a movie like that is is good enough and Amazon is, is around, you know, just basically like swinging their junk, could they just? Snatch another one up. I mean, is it is it one of those situations where basically they if they want to be the well, biggest game in town? They're starting to
2: have a lot of films that they have to. I mean, I was at the presentation and they've, they've got a lot of movies. They've got Elvis and Nixon and Weiner Dog that they they picked up six movies at Sundance. Um, so, you know, including the, the J.T. LeRoy documentary, and, and uh, they've got a lot. They've got the Whit Stillman movie, Love and Friendship. They have different distribution partners on all these films. Lionsgate's going to do the Woody Allen, which was news to me.
1: It, it almost it sounds too good to be true. I mean, let's see a bunch of these movies do well, right? That's, that, the deck is, is, is stacked.
2: But they have the advantage that Netflix has, which is that they have a different agenda. So it doesn't matter if they lose money at the box office. They but, can make money. They're just they're just trying to lure customers to Amazon.
1: But is that to shop that, there? Is that going to wind up being satisfying for all parties ultimately?
2: Well, I mean, you could say that the Beasts of No Nation equation came out negative in that sense, although right. they made some money back they in advance. Amazon's trying to
1: put this aura of prestige. They want to get
2: Oscars, too. And I think that this, yes, exactly, this theatrical approach is going to be more successful if if they want to take something like Manchester by the Sea, uh, which which they showed a clip of today, which was stunning between uh, Michelle Williams and Casey Affleck. You could definitely see those two being in the running.
1: Yeah, but I, I just... What I, what I worry about with this sort of thing is that it takes the conversation away from how to, how to work with the more challenging movies that could actually do really well through a, a very particular kind of release strategy. And, and it really just says, you know, these guys... What do you have, mean
2: by do really well?
1: Well, exactly. I mean, the metrics aren't so easy to define. Let's, let's rewind for a second. Last year at Cannes, Son of Saul perfect movie for a company like Sony Pictures Classics to say, we can get an Oscar for this thing. Nobody knew about it beforehand. I wonder what other companies like, say, an Amazon, where they are right now, would have done with a movie like this, and whether its reception would have been better or worse had it you know, gone through the, a very different sort of process getting out I in the world. I had a
2: conversation with Tom Quinn, uh, who was at Radius, who's now got a new company with with Tim League, and he bid on Son of Saul, and he would have released it exactly the same way that Sony Pictures Classics did. And I would argue that if you asked Bob Burney what he would have done, he would have done the same thing too. So we do not know and have no evidence yet that Amazon is going to be chasing foreign language films, which are historically much more difficult to get across at the box office. But one story we haven't written yet, which is in my queue, and I haven't had time to edit it, is by Tom Brueggemann on Embrace of the Serpent. And why did this obscure black-and-white Colombian movie make it at the box office? So there is hope if you know what you're doing.
1: Right, and that's that's really where I, I want to dig deeper into this can lineup, and I feel like people are missing the big story if you just look at the, the bigger movies that are there because obviously they, they demand headline attention, they're, they're the things that grab well, eyeballs right away. you're not right going to write it. about
2: those things now. No, but
1: what I find most intriguing about this lineup is the large volume of stuff that does fall into that category, because a lot of it's going to be deemed obscure, and, and no matter what, it's going to have a narrow audience, but there, there may be something lurking in this lineup that could... Of course, that so that's could, our
2: job, is to find right, them, and right. to have people spread that word of mouth and make them into something that somebody like IFC wants to buy.
1: Right, exactly. And, and so that, that's going to be the, the more intriguing sort of thing to look at, especially in contrast to the, this master narrative of, of you know, where movies are heading, is that there still is a, a massive marketplace of much tinier things that require different kinds of approaches. It's not like what we're saying with Amazon is going to be the paradigm that's all-inclusive for everything.
2: Yeah, yeah there's so. a lot of different ways to scare the cat.
1: Right, exactly. So, And I've been thinking about that also in relation to the Tribeca Film Festival, which kicked off last night. This is another pretty big festival. I mean, the lineup is technically much heftier than Cannes, in, in just in terms of volume. Um, and and it's not a festival that commands the same sort of attention or respect but I do think there are a lot of really good movies in the lineup that could benefit from different sorts of approaches, I mean there's a a documentary, just to take one example called All This Panic, which I thought was great it follows a, a couple of teen girls in New York over the course of three years and you see them basically grow up, it's like boyhood from this young female perspective in a way and yet I don't know what the selling point is there. I mean, I can tell you that I I think it's a beautifully shot movie. I'm just wondering, when it comes to things like this, where we're in just such a dense, cluttered environment in terms of different sorts of possibilities. How do you get
2: some kind of conversation going, even beginning to lure people into seeing something? It's very, very hard. Who at
1: CinemaCon could I go up to and say what this movie's about and convince them that they should do something with it? What does it
2: take? Well, it, it's it, it, the Indies are not the you know they did take some time at the Searchlight at the at the Big Fox presentation to make a big presentation for Birth of a Nation for for, for Searchlight, which is unusual. Um, so they made a big fuss for that. One of the things I heard recently is that is that there's more room in the big multiplexes when they aren't sold out by something like. Civil War, Captain America, hmm. Civil War. Um, there's more room for, for the indies in some of the smaller screens in the multiplexes. And I'd like to think that, was, that that's a good thing for, for more, uh, you know, getting, giving people a... You know, they kept saying they want diversity, and they were trying to, <laughs> to, to show that. and, and uh, Good job, John, guys.
1: Jeez. Yeah, really. <laughs>
2: like, tell me. How many Marvel movies, how many DC movies... How many Avatar movies are we going to be seeing, right?
1: Yeah, the most
2: original stuff out there is from the uh, anime on the on the animation side. You know, Secret Life of Pets starts (laughs) to look real good, or Trolls. After you see all these pixelated fighting movies.
1: Yeah, no. It's, it's the contrast can be more extreme. It's no, notably going back to talking about just how indies are getting out there, relative to all this other stuff. A release just went out about how Sundance selects, aka IFC has already bought US rights to two movies in competition at Cannes one of which is Christian Munju's Graduation he did
2: I think that's been in the four in, months. I had heard they had that sure sure ago. but
1: it, they obviously they chose to announce it the because they the, worked um, with
2: him before
1: uh, and the other one that they've worked with before is the Darden brothers and they and they bought that one as well the Unknown Girl so I I'm really curious about how I the, the kind of the resilience of IFC or so it seems in the face of some of the shifts that we're talking about, a company that has a strong VOD presence, but right. also can sort of be a traditional theatrical distributor for the right kind of movie, that versatility versus say what Amazon does, where it, it's got digital rights and they do the theatrical, but they partner with somebody else. And, and sort of that's, that's their, their way into to kind of being the good guys for these movies. IFC seems like it's not necessarily trying to do a huge show for these kinds of things, but they're figuring out the right niche to get them out there. At least that's what it looks like. I mean, uh, these are movies that people are going to want to see beyond Cannes, and I can't think of anybody else who would be such a natural fit to take them on. So, you know, it almost makes you wonder if if those if those people can do that. It means they have four films overall in competition, which... I mean, hey, they're they're sort of on the same level of Amazon in that respect. Maybe there's room for both in this kind of marketplace, and it's not like Amazon is just going to rule the town per se. That there's Hardly. Just...
2: I don't think so. No, the thing about the bigger paradigm is that Amazon and Netflix have enormous amounts of money, and they have the ability to spend more and drive up the prices for the rest of the people who are more in, you know, with their feet on the ground in a sort of reality-based, theater-based, ancillary-based environment, and they don't have to make money in the same way. And, and you know, that's sort of demonstrated by Amazon picking up Cafe Society for $20 million when Sony Pictures Classics picked up the last one for, like one <laughs> or right. something. You know, so, so you know, in the reality of the marketplace, you know, those numbers don't work. And so uh, luckily there are many, many movies to go around and Amazon c- and Netflix can't buy all of them. And Netflix didn't do well with Beast of No Nation in, in the theatrical universe, so people are more... Um, can argue that. And, and something like Nate Parker's Birth of a Nation goes to Searchlight the next time around and, and not... To uh, to to Netflix, but but it's it, it, the, the, the those are the problems that are presented. Not that they're taking over the world, but that they have deeper pockets. Mm.
1: I have to say, I'm relieved that we spent 25 uh, minutes in change talking about all these different changes, and we haven't gotten dragged into another conversation about how TV is king. I mean, it's uh, it's irresistible, and it's in a certain TV points,
2: right? does present a serious competitor to the movies that's that's what they've done is they've created a reason for people to stay home the the movies have allowed this void the studios that make movies have allowed this this to happen and you know even if someone like the head of warner brothers above sujahara you know says well we're, we're in the business of HBO and we're in the business of movies. So what difference does it make? You know, which, where the money comes from. I still think that the, the studios have allowed this to happen in a way that they, they, they shouldn't have.
1: Yeah, I just, I, I wonder how many people are even aware of the, the volume of things opening in theaters this week when they're all just kind of queuing up Netflix or whatever. I mean, Jungle Book, Barbershop, The Next Cut, something like Green Room or Sing Street. I mean, there's a lot of variety in theaters at any given moment. And yet, I think to a large degree, consumers start with TV and then the movie stuff kind of happens after the fact almost. And so all of these changes are are rolled up under a bigger question about just what's grabbing people's attention right now. And I think... This year, in particular, with all of these different power players, we're going to see it play out in a more kind of dramatic way in the sense that Cannes is going to provide a stage for all of these folks to prove their relevance. And uh, we'll be we'll be tracking that as close as we possibly can. I don't want to get you kicked out of your hotel room since I know CinemaCon's wrapping up. So I'm, I, I think we should probably draw to a close right now. But next week... When you're you're back from CinemaCon, we'll have the opportunity to uh, dig a little bit deeper into the Can lineup and the Tribeca Film Festival will be winding down, so we'll have a lot more from that to to dig into, but. Personally I can't wait. I feel like this is what when things get really good for us. We have a whole year of things to actually look ahead to. We don't have to imagine what the Cannes Film Festival lineup looks like. We know that. And by virtue of that, we also know we have a lot of new stuff we're gonna discuss. So
2: Thank you, darling. See you soon.